I'm Af Malhotra and this is Straight Talk. It's 2022, a new year, a new pathway, a new journey. I'm absolutely thrilled to start off this season three uh, episode with you with a great, great individual and a person who I will introduce momentarily. Before I do so, let me tell you about our plan and our agenda this year. There are three big transformations we're going to be focusing on. First one is the digital world order. This is where we look at the good and the bad side of digital. We cover all aspects of technology. We're going to bring in experts to discuss everything from the metaverse to NFTs, blockchain, and even cryptocurrency. The second area is climate realism. This is where we will be super realistic about decarbonization. We will cut through the noise and the hype that you see in the media and get right into showcasing some of the coolest innovations and innovators in the green space and sustainability space, as well as challenging some of the ideas and thought process around what we need to do as humanity to make the world a better place. The third area, and the most important to some extent for me, is diversity economics. This is very much about looking at the economic argument of diversity, the numbers, the data. What do we need to do to justify diversity being a central feature, a default part of culture moving forward, not just locally, but also globally. Today, our guest is a gentleman called Dr. Ramesh Mashalkar. He is without question, not only the coolest guy for some of the young folks out there on, on the call, he is super accomplished. He has immense credibility. And I have to say the one thing I've taken away from him, and many things, of course, the one thing I've taken away in a brief discussion with him before this, show is the, the gentleman's humility and as an individual myself I'm learning from that humility and I really respect and admire it. Now before I go to Dr. Michelka I want to say a little bit about him. Now he has a huge CV so I don't think we'll have uh, time to cover all of his accolades. It'll take 60 minutes for me to do so but I will touch on a few things. Uh, Dr. Michelka apart from many accolades, being uh, on the board of Tata and Reliance and advising some of the biggest companies, leaders and government and national leaders, he was a very successful leader himself and was the Director General of the Council of Scientific and Industrial Research, CSIR. <clears throat> You'll refer to that no doubt in his, in his discussion with, with me later today. He's been the president of the Indian National Science Academy, the chairman of National Innovation Foundation, the president of, of the UK Institution of Chemical Engineers, the president of Global Research Alliance. Um, he's also got 44 honorary degrees. It was hard enough for me to get two, let alone 44. So um, he, he is an absolute um, genius when it comes to that. He's pioneered research in polymer science and engineering. Uh, especially in non-Newtonian uh, fluid mechanics and stimuli response, uh, which is which is incredible. I'm sure he'll touch on that. Uh, he is the Fellow of the Royal Society uh, in London. He was also elected Foreign Associate of the U.S. National Academy of Science, National Academy of Engineering, and of course the list goes on and on and on. One of the most important things I do want to say, which I think is going to be important for the folks in the West listening to this, is that uh, Dr. Michelka wrote a very, very important, co-authored a very important paper, uh, a Harvard paper, with the great C.K. Prahlad, which was called the Holy Grail. And that paper was seismic in that it changed the mindset of CEOs globally around looking at innovation in a very different way, i.e. 
inclusive innovation, innovation that is different to the innovation that we've been taught in the West for, for many, many years. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Michelle Kerr onto the show. Welcome, sir. Great to have you on the show, and uh, thank you for giving us this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a special honor, a special privilege to be on your program. Thank you. Yeah, it's, 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 it's um, the feelings are mutual. So we're going to get right into it because there's a lot to discuss and we have limited amounts of time. Um, before I start, I, I, you know, I'd like to dig into something that's super important because I, I recall you saying to me there are two things that are bothering you right now or that you care about. The first one is access equality. And the second one is the importance of aspirations that then create possibilities. And I'm sure you will unpack that for us. Uh, during the process uh, of this call. Before we start, though, it's very important for all of us to understand who you are. Who are you really? Where do you come from? And what, is, what has been instrumental in getting you to where you are today? Um, and if you could give us some color around that, your background, your personal story, that will set the foundation for, I'm sure, everything else you say to us, because the, the connect the connect the dots will be joined extremely well uh, in my mind. So over to you. The ball is the cricket ball is on your side, as I say. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, well, uh, uh, the story starts in a village called Michelle. Uh It was a poor village in uh, Goa. Uh, I was born there to a very, very poor family. My father died when I was six. My mother was illiterate. And in search of a job, she brought me to Bombay. Now it is called Mumbai. And she did practically manual work to bring me up. Right. Uh, two meals a day was a challenge. I have gone hungry many nights. Uh, I studied under street lights. I walked barefoot until I was uh, 12. Uh, there were very hard times, uh, as a matter of fact. Uh, I remember the days when I passed to primary school, 7th uh, standard to go to 8th standard, we require 21 rupees. And uh, 21 rupees is one-fourth of a dollar. Right. Cents. And it took me it took my mother three weeks to gather that. Uh, those were the hard circumstances. Uh, I did my secondary school certificate exam in the state of Maharashtra, and I stood 11th among 135,000 students. And uh, But I was still going to leave my education. Mm -hmm. because my poor mother was really suffering, and I wanted uh, uh, to help her by taking a job. But then miracles do happen, and I got uh, Sardur Raptata scholarship which was 60 rupees per month for six years, again, less than a dollar a month. And that is how I could uh, study. I did my bachelor's degree in chemical engineering and then also the PhD. Uh, came to UK, uh, first as Survey Matheson district professor, then became a lecturer in Stanford University, and then uh, went on to teach in US. And then I came back to the country under very interesting circumstances, by the way. Mm -hmm. because, you know, when it comes to developing countries, poor countries, you always talk about brain drain. Okay. And I was, a, I was going to be part of that brain drain. But uh, then something happened. Uh, Mrs. Gandhi was then the Prime Minister. She sent the Director General of CSIR 
to US and uh, UK. And she had found that uh, young scientists are trying to come back and get a gainful employment, but they don't get and they go back frustrated. Yeah. Uh, Khurana, you know, he came, he didn't get a job in ICR, went back and got a Nobel Prize, so as to say. So she said, just go and spot them and give them job on the spot. And I was one of the sort of shortlisted ones. And I remember I just got a telex message from director of National Chemical Laboratory, telex, by the way, at that time, many of you might not even heard what telex was, <laughs> saying that you should go and meet uh, Dr. Naiduma, then the director general of CSR. And uh, it is interesting. When I went in, I did not know I'm going to promise him that I'm going to come back. So if there is something about me, mm. I think from here, not from here. All right. Yeah. And instinctively, uh, when he said, you can come and uh, this is the India that you can build. I was barely 32 at that time. I threw away everything and I basically came back under very tough circumstances. Became, uh, I mean, I was a scientist in NCL, became the director of National Capital Laboratory, then the director of CSR, which is a chain of 40 uh, uh, laboratories. So that has been sort of my, I would say, professional background and uh, uh, career. That's what. Uh, and, and can I ask what drove you to come back? Because, of course, you were making a mark for yourself, building your brand in international markets. And given where India was at that point, what was it a personal reason, if I may ask, or a professional reason, both? Or was it just, you know, you, as you said, the heart? It was the heart. <clears throat> I was doing very well. In fact, I had a big job offer in US at that time and also one in Imperial College. And uh, I uh, uh, just because it was the way Dr. Nayaduma talked to me about India. Right. Yeah, and, and, and said that young people like you, if you come and build India, uh, you know, because finally it is uh, the power uh, of mind that actually builds nations, basically. And the best of minds, you can't afford to lose them. They have to come and serve the country, you know, and that appealed to me. Basically, you know, it is those one of those emotional moments when you say yes and you come back. And then uh, you come back under very tough circumstances. Uh, it is not the India of today. Right. All right. Yeah. Uh, but our uh, GDP per capita was close to $100, by the way. Today mm -hmm. it is $2,000 GDP per capita. Um, we, today we have a billion mobiles in India, right? It took us six years to get a telephone, by the way. Six years. We were in the queue. Journals used to come by emails. So after three or four months, we'll know what is happening in the rest of the world. All right. And um, uh, so th there were very difficult conditions. But, you know, as I say, I mean, as we say in our paper, the CK Pralat paper that you talked right. about, right, Innovation yeah. Holy Grail, uh, which appeared in July, August 2010 issue of Harvard Business Review. Uh, uh, there we say aspirations, scarcity and aspirations is a deadly combination. So right. yeah. Okay? yeah. And, and that, that is what it was. And therefore, it was that aspiration, uh, basically keeping our aspirations high, that actually uh, sort of did it all. So therefore, uh, as you know, uh, there have been only two living engineering scientists uh, today in India. In 360 years, we have got the honor of becoming a fellow of Royal Society, London, right? And then you sign in the same book where Newton has signed. That's the greatest honor that one can get. Mm. The kind of research that we did, 
with uh, uh, practically nothing and with just uh, uh, what I might say is not all the power of budget but power of ideas. Yes, able to get us uh, that uh, uh, sort of honor. So I I discovered something that it is not uh, I, it is the power and the strength of your ideas that actually sort of finally matter and that is how India has been propelled. India has been a poor country as yeah. as you uh, quite know, but it has been rich in ideas in terms of several uh, sort of other things. That's what makes it special. So the answer to your question was that yes, it was an emotional burst. but that willingness to give back to the country mm. what i find fascinating about your journey of course i've i've um, been studying your path for a while now and uh, i think one of the most in- incredible things about the east and in this case india is is the, the 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 story of i don't want to call it rags to riches that's not what i mean what i mean is you can you can you can be a central part of the scarcity you can be in an environment where which where where you were where you talk uh, very emotionally and passionately about your mother um and you've obviously created a foundation that we'll talk about um, in a, in a second the anjani mashalka foundation which is which is incredible and you know kudos to you for doing so um how one can dream big and have aspirations even through that scarcity and then end up in incredible places I and mean, of course you are I, I wouldn't call you an outlier actually maybe now more so there are more and more people like you who have big dreams and i think you know one of the things you shared with me which uh, and i come from the startup world too which was fascinating that india has produced roughly 75 unicorns during this covid period which is incredible half of those individuals and founders come from tier 2 tier 3 city uh backgrounds and universities so not not necessarily the big ivy league equivalents in india like the iit and iims which is incredible it's a great indicator of what's to come so my question to you therefore is is this what makes the indian inside or outside of india um exceptional because of course india and indians in india operate in an ecosystem and people like you are challenging um society to progress to push them to to the the limits and then of course you take the indian out of india like you were back in in the day and when you had a big job offer from various places and you decided to go back to india but even today you see indians in other parts of the world who are excelling ceos of big technology companies whether it's satya nadella or sundar pichai and various others and of course the indian in india and the reliance family the tata family that i know you're very close to and have advised personally so i i'm going to sh- i'm going to shift gears go back and forth if that's okay but given given your background given what you know about what it means to have scarcity and aspirations and how deadly that combination is and i think i like the way you are referred to as and you refer yourself to as uh, the dangerous optimist um tell us about that because i think that along with scarcity aspirations is the is the most powerful formula that creates magic Uh, and has allowed the indian to excel in not just in india but other parts of the world yes i i, I agree in fact uh, uh you know there are two three things uh, that i want to sort of uh, specifically mention uh you mentioned that i was chairman of national innovation foundation yes for 18 years you know what is that foundation it deals with grassroots innovation artisans farmers school dropouts all right uh ordinary people on the street and our fundamental belief 
is that everyone is someone and minds on the margin are not necessarily marginal minds everyone can basically sort of uh, innovate and it is incredible if you go to ni website you will find some 20000 such innovations uh, that have been posted because the moment they see a problem these uh, uh, let's say school dropouts or artisans or farmers they don't uh, uh, actually be a part of the problem they want to be a part of a solution right and the amazing solutions uh, get uh, actually created that is something special about uh, india and of course then you talk about jugad innovation i don't like the word jugad innovation because jugad is a lot of compromise in terms of safety sustainability or uh, uh, aesthetics or environmental issues and so on and so forth i like to uh, talk about indian innovation as the one that belongs to affordable excellence because normally affordability and excellence don't go together uh, what is affordable is not excellent what is excellent is not affordable uh, but then can you do the 10x magic 10 times better 10 times cheaper yeah i mean that was uh, that is basically uh, uh, the idea so the central point and i will come back to my uh, to sort of present uh, passion about access equality despite income inequality uh, 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 very shortly but the basic challenge for india is the following because we talked about brain drain isn't it mm-hmm. and uh, the, the uh, i was uh, interviewing the uh, uh, for the post of uh, chief innovation officer a young man uh, was appearing for the interview for national innovation foundation of which i was the chairman yeah on his cv and his cv said that uh, he uh, is great in building brands oh i said that's fantastic so why didn't you tell me uh how we can brand india and uh, uh i mean and then he sort of uh, struggled because he had branded a refrigerator a car how do you brand a nation and then i helped him by saying that look us brands itself as a land of opportunity how do you brand india and you know what was the instant response uh, of he said yes india is a land of ideas mm-hmm. and here is a bad news the good news is india is a land of ideas the bad news is that we are not a land of opportunity it is the us or the western world so how do you make india into a land of opportunity you get the point and that is where i i'm very proud uh, uh, that you right in the, at the outset mentioned and i'm going to come to that little later that today we are talking about 75 unicorns mm-hmm. you have just emerged during the last couple of years uh, in india and 50% of them as you say came from tier 2 tier 3 see why uh, there are some dropouts as a matter of fact mm. can you imagine there for a uh, young uh, uh, late 20 uh, boy who comes uh, let's say from a village having a market cap of a billion dollars because right. yeah it's astounding yeah that that is the part of the opportunity part because the startup india program that uh, indian government created it was not that startups were not new i mean you heard about kiran muzumdar shah biocon or uh, so on and so forth you know but it has not accelerated in the way that uh, uh, so sort of uh, it has so suddenly it is becoming that land of opportunity and actually i would say that brain drain is giving rise to brain gain and brain circulation young yeah. people are coming back <clears throat> yeah for example yeah uh, if you see one of the great things about india is uh, the a uh, fact 
that the intellectual capital per dollar that is generated is the highest in the world. Uh, uh, you know, in terms of uh, you take any matrix, for example, look at papers, patterns, these, etc. Per dollar spent, if you see uh, what is the number, uh, you know, in absolute terms, we might come low. But when it comes to that intellectual capital per dollar, we come high. And that is why India has become a global research and design and development platform. Today, as we speak up, there are 1,160 companies, top companies, who's who, who have set up their R&D centers in India. And Indian IT is generating IP there. Some of them uh, are even uh, sort of uh, uh, one third of their global patterns come from, 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 from India. And more than wow. 360,000 scientists, engineers, technology are working. But almost one third of them have come back from abroad. India is a land of opportunity as far mm. as the scientific research is concerned. India is a land of opportunity as far as the startups are concerned, and so on and so forth. I, mean, I can sort of uh, elaborate on that. So when you yes. ask me what is special about India, it is this. Uh, affordable yeah. and highest intellectual capital per dollar that gets generated. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to that. I want to I want to pull a thread there. Let's go back to this demographic, which is very, very important, because I think um, I often refer to India as the new India. And what I mean, and new India means different things to different people. But the new India for me as an entrepreneur, as a technology investor and founder is the new generation of innovators and innovations and startups. And many of the startups will succeed, some won't, some will pivot, and, and so on and so forth. But I love the fact that you have this younger generation who have the courage, the will, the desire, the grit to go off and break the rules and innovate like anyone else in the world. And I think it's remarkable. Now, I want to ask you some questions about this, because when you talked about the innovation centers being built in India for the large corporations and that large number you shared, and of course, a third of these people coming back, Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing on the ground. Um, let me throw my hypothesis at you and then you can break it down and challenge it and say yes or, or no. I believe that the new generation of, of entrepreneurs in India, young, younger people, need to be engaged with from the West, engaged with, um, uh, you know, need to be supported, need to be um, respected, need to be... Um, sort of um, cultivated by the West in a very different way to how the West did it 15 years ago, when we used to talk about in the UK, the diaspora that came over here, we used to talk about the history with India. I would argue that the young generation I've spoken to have grown up on books by Shashi Tharoor, uh, like the Inglorious Empire. In fact, they are almost a little bit anti the West to some extent because they want to recreate a new history for India, albeit 85 years old in terms of at least the democracy that we've been enjoying. What is your view on this new India? Is what I'm saying making sense or is there something that we're missing? Because I want to get this across. I'd like to get this message across to the, the audiences that listen from you uh, so you can, you can educate us on this. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think that's an excellent question. Uh, you know, uh, 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 my narrative is always through some uh, experiences that I've gone through in my life. I always speak from the book of my life, not those books that you see behind me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, And they're always more valuable to me. So I'll tell you my own experience with uh, young people. Uh, for, for example, I was uh, uh, having a conversation with uh, uh, some uh, group of young people. And then I'm very proud of the Indian education system, which has given so many leaders across mm -hmm. the world, as you know, 
Silicon Valley success, of course, is attributed to many things, but also the Indian entrepreneurs who have done so well there and so on and so forth. So I was talking about, uh, uh, you know, Satya Nadella, for example, being the CEO of Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Sundar Pichai is uh, the CEO of uh, Google, all right? And uh, you can aspire to become uh, Sundar Pichai I mean, or uh, Satya Nadella. One young fellow, I've got up and uh, uh, politely he called me, sir. Of course, we are very polite, as you know, we always call senior, <laughs> yes. But at the same time, he said, I disagree with you. I said, I thought I said something nice. He said, no, sir, in your generation, your only aspiration was to go to US somehow. The new generation, go to US and get a great job in a great company like Microsoft. Right. The following generation, not only go to US, get a job in Microsoft, but also become Satya Nadella, CEO. Not in our case. We want to build our own Microsoft, our own Google here in our India. That, wow. is, the that is the trust that they sort of basically have. So I love the confidence of these young people. What mm. we need to do, very frankly, let me tell you the downside also. I'm, mm. I'm honestly, because we should not all be singing praises of India. We must also talk about their, its weakness. Yeah. What is called as talent, technology, and trust. We are talking about top talent. In fact, I remember Atul Bihari Bajpayeeji, uh, our former prime minister who started the IT revolution, always used to say India's future is in IT, IT as in information technology. I also used to say, yes, India's future is in IT, but not as in information technology, in Indian talent. That gives right. us uh, actually the uh, superior uh, advantage. So we are talking about talent. Then access to technology. Certainly in the new digital world, as you know, basically, the opportunities have just uh, sort of uh, opened up. Uh, you look at storage and then there is, of course, cloud. You look at software and suddenly there is open source uh, software. And you look at uh, data and uh, then uh, Mukesh Ambani's Jio provides it at 4 rupees per GB, as you know, yeah. Yeah. in the world. So that, that word has uh, changed completely and there are sort of opportunities. What is very important is the trust part of it. Yeah. The point. That means we must have uh, trust in uh, sort of uh, the innovation that we do. I later on come to Anjani Mashankar Inclusive Innovation Award, but one of the awardees was uh, uh, a gentleman called Dr. Naveen Khanna. And Dengue Test, as you know, is uh, actually, it takes one or two days. And he created something which could be done in 15 minutes. And also the stage at which the dengue is, all right? Mm-hmm. But we are importing from South Korea, from US, from Australia. And suddenly there was a pandemic. And uh, when the pandemic broke away, there were no kids. And nobody was taking Naveen Khanna's kids, by the way, although it was superior, it had US patent, it had FDA approvals and so on and so forth. There was no simple and then what happened was that uh, we approached these countries, basically, and two of them said, no, we can't. Only South Korea said we can within the stipulated time. And they shipped those diagnostic kits on a wrong ship, which went to Africa. So India had no kits at all. Oh, gosh. And they had no option but to go to Naveen Khanna. You get the point. Mm-hmm. And now his market share was 0% at that time. Today it is 75%. Wow. Had that ship yeah. come to India, basically, you would have been still at 0%. Mm-hmm. 
So I think what I would say is that despite all the praises we can sing about our talent and technology, I think it is trust. It is risk financing. It is not just venture capital. It's adventure capital. Mm. Uh, something that is still missing in India, and mm. that I think we need to build. And if we build that, uh, you know, then we'll realize the true potential. Mm. You've hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think um, tr- trust is actually. Is is a central, very important word when you look at an economy like India, 1.3 billion people. To be fair, though, Dr. Michelle, there are only two economies in the world, countries in the world, with so many people. Uh, one is us, or one is India, in this case, for you, and then it's uh, China, and uh, they have a very different system. Their operating system is different end to end, and so India is toying around with democracy, and. To be fair, with you know, in the UK where 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 I live, where we've got sixty six million people, and that's enough people. Frankly, <laughs> that's just enough people to deal with on an island, and we can just about manage. And then, and if I think about you know the US at four hundred plus million people, and then India at one point three billion people, and the complexity of India, the the vastness of the land, languages, cultures. I mean, the north and the south, frankly. Aren't really always best of friends and don't have that much synergy. There is one India, but they're different. They're very, very different. So managing all of this and still innovating and still uh, having great talent and technology is remarkable. Trust is going to be a challenge, I believe. I mean, almost you almost have to. Uh, what's the word for it? You almost have to uh, cut cut India some slack, because I think maybe the expectations are unrealistic. Yeah. Since you mentioned about China, and as you know, the recent challenge with China and the yeah. world uh, can't go China less, but they are trying to be less China, as as you can see. <laughs> so we we, yeah. we we leave that aside because yeah. uh, we are so much dependent upon them and so on. So forth. that's a different subject altogether. In fact, is, yeah. I have a book on that, which I have co-authored with some authors, with regard to the challenge of China and how do we. Dealing with strategic patience and so on, but that's a separate matter. But you know, what used to happen as I'm probably a traveling salesman for India, you know, all over the world, and there are questions. And one of the questions which will always come, by the way, and I think this question was asked to me in MIT, if I remember correctly, when I spoke about Indian innovation, and this was about India and China. Right. It was about 10 12 years ago. And I remember because then I actually formulated the answer so, so that each time I don't say. So I used to say, India's advantage over China is three Ds. First is what you said, democracy. Democracy is allows you to think free, act free, so as to say, and that's the great trigger for innovation, fundamentally. Right. Diversity, huge diversity, and diversity creates again uh, sort of. Uh, Uh, a great uh, sort of platform for, and finally, demography. Demography, yeah, you know, in terms of young people, Correct. because uh, the uh, interesting thing about young people is that they don't know that it can't be done. Number one, and number two, they see what each one of us sees, but think of what uh, no one thinks. Basically. Correct. Correct. Yes. So these three Ds, and on the lighter side, I used to also say, I must say, I wish we had the four D discipline. <laughs> that that's that's the brackets in brackets you should put discipline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because a lot of people call us, you know, like Amrita Sen has an argument between Indian and 
chaotic democracy and the rest of it. But that's on the lighter side. I think yeah. well, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that we are the largest democracy uh, in the world and we have seen democracy in its sort of uh, finest forms. So anyway, this was triggered by your remark on China. Yeah, absolutely. So we've covered, and this is fantastic, we've covered such good ground here, your background, uh, the challenging background, you know, how you managed to um, propel yourself with scarcity, aspiration and drive and, and, and um, persevered forward. And you then became the director general of this incredible organization. Now, just give us a quick flavor because there's there's one particular aspect of what you shared which I found remarkable when you talked about you being the first person and how this uh, CSR organization was disjoint and you came in and this is about leadership in a environment in an environment that uh, wouldn't wouldn't have experienced that form of cohesive leadership that level of harmonization so talk us through that particular story I love that when you came in and people were I think there were 40 labs or something they were all over the place yeah, talk us about talk us through that, please. Absolutely. Actually, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, it's a great organization. Uh, I was the director of National Chemical Laboratory, but similarly, mm -hmm. there is a National Physical Laboratory, National Aeronautical Laboratory. There is no discipline that is left out. In a sense, it's an right. extremely comprehensive organization. Excepting the challenge was that each laboratory behaved uh, as though it was on its uh, uh, sort of own, so as to say. Mm -hmm. The, that team CSR spirit, uh, one CSR spirit was not there. And this actually uh, is something that I took uh, sort of uh, uh, head on. And I must say that uh, this transformation of CSR, if you look at uh, the book Scientific Age by Jain Nardika, the great astrophysicist, uh, his book talks about the top 10 achievements of uh, uh, Indian science and technology in the 20th century, starting with Ramanujan, you know, the mathematician, or uh, uh, S.N. Bose, stellar astrophysics, then uh, uh, C.V. Raman, who won the Nobel Prize, etc., Green Revolution, and so on. He lists 10 things, you know, and the 10th is CSR transformation. Because the way the alignment basically took place when no two labs wouldn't talk to each other, by the time I had left, it was uh, 19 labs working together. And I still remember 11 May 1998, which is celebrated as a technology day uh, in India. We had all a directors meeting, 40 directors meeting. And, uh, uh, you know, it is incredible. At the end of the day, uh, they signed something. Uh, they said, uh, Team India, One India, uh, CSR, uh, sorry, India uh, matters to us. We want to matter to India more. You know, that was the kind of uh, transformation. Now, how did that happen? And that is where I think uh, when organization changes uh, are concerned, the very first thing is alignment. Mm -hmm. It is almost like, you know, magnetic needles, which are on paper, they are all scattered in different directions. And then you bring a magnet, all right? And then they all get aligned, you know, the north-south pole, as you know, uh, and, and so on. And that magnet is a big purpose, basically. Uh, uh, you know, so organizations need to sort of uh, have that. And there are uh, actually now case studies that have been written on this uh, CSR uh, transformation on how it uh, uh, actually um, uh, happened in terms of, it was not just about incentivization, it was changing the culture. Right. And changing 
the culture sometimes uh, is very difficult because it is like uh, turning the ship, which is not like a turning a scooter. Correct. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it is a fascinating study and I'm very sort of proud of what we were able to sort of achieve. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, I think, um, you know, leadership is is central to, I think, what you're describing, whether it's a national leadership, it's enterprise leadership, public sector leadership. Yes. And uh, may I, if I just uh, sort of talk about that? Please. Uh, I have my own way of uh, defining this leadership. Okay. And that came to me uh, from my experience uh, that I had in school. As I told you, my mother took uh, three weeks to get uh, great uh, 21 rupees. And therefore, all the admissions in top schools were closed, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I went to a poor school where the poorest of the poor children from uh, poor society would come, basically. But that poor school had rich teachers. And one of them was Principal Bhave. Mm -hmm. Bhave believed in not chalk and talk, but he experienced and learned, so as to say. So... For example, one day he took us, uh, took us out uh, into the sun. He had this convex lens in his hand. He wanted to show us how to find the focal length. Okay. And then he moved it up and down. And there was the brightest spot. And then he said, this distance is focal length. And they hid it for some time. And the paper burned. And mm -hmm. when the paper burned, for some reason, he turned to me. And he says, like this, if you focus, you can achieve anything in the world. That did two things for me. That was a wow moment for me. The first yeah. I said, this is so powerful. I'm going to be a scientist. The second was focus and you can achieve um, anything. Later on, I saw more meaning in it. You know, what is that? Uh, if you look at a convex lens, the sun's rays are all parallel. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what is the property of parallel lens? They don't meet. Mm -hmm. Okay. What do the convex lens do? It brings them together. So as to say. So I coined the term convex lens leadership. So when I went to National Chemical Laboratory, there were divisions in organic chemistry division, organic chemistry division, chemistry division, division, division. I said, no, one in here. When mm -hmm. I went to CSR, I did that. When I became the president of Global Research Alliance, by the way, mm -hmm. 60,000 scientists from around the world, uh, like, uh, for example, Fraunhofer Gesellschaft from Germany, VTT Finland, VTI Denmark, you know, Netherlands, Battelle US, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. Once again, we brought that big uh, purpose in and they were all parallel because nothing in common and sort of uh, we uh, brought them. So that convex leadership is what the world needs. Yeah, yeah. Fabulous. fabulous. Today, what has happened, the race, religion, the kind of conflicts that we have are keeping us parallel. Convex leadership is together. I'm afraid in many ways we get into concave leadership. What does concave leadership do? The parallel lines, they go even further apart. Yeah. What mm -hmm. the world as a whole needs is really uh, getting that convex language. Like uh, in Sanskrit, we say, Vasudeva Kutumbakam, word as one family. As you know, uh, mm -hmm. we can divert into another subject. I don't want to do that because you are talking about innovation. Uh, but this extreme nationalism versus a global village uh, mm -hmm. concept, etc. So these were certain things I learned that I consider myself very fortunate. That is a poor why I could go to a rich school and learn this. Mm. I think it's a fantastic story. It's also to do with how you're interpreting things. Um, I think we uh, one sees a lot of things around them, 
and stimuli is everywhere, how you're able to have the mindfulness to then take that and then process it and turn it into a narrative to then absorb it and say, actually, in my life, if I forget everything, I'm going to remember the story that, you know, about about the, the convex lens. Can I ask you one question, because you work with some of the biggest companies in the world, in India in particular, Reliance, and I'm sure the Ambani family, I know counts on you, you're an advisor to the leaders there. And of course, you have the Tata group. And I've, I've noticed, you know, you've been in various presentations with Ratan Tata, you are close to him, I'm sure he sees you as a um, an advisor too. We are in admiration of these folks, that's fine. What does the next generation look like, in your opinion, in terms of the enterprise leadership uh, values? Yes, I, I would say, uh, <clears throat> I'm very close to them. Yes, you are absolutely right. Uh, in fact, uh, Mukesh Ambani, uh, I've not met a leader like him, by the way. He's absolutely incredible, mind-boggling. Mind, mind mm -hmm. But uh, this has gone on from Dhirvay Ambani's time, you know. I mean, if you look at, and from generation to generation, it is moving, um, right. basically. So, Dhirubhai Ambani, then Mukesh Ambani, and then his three children, uh, Akash, Isha, and uh, Anand. He said, So, if you go back, as a matter of fact, talking about scarcity and aspiration, uh, and that is where Dhirubhai Ambani started his journey. Like petrol pump attendant in Aden, coming back, starting selling saris, then women, then how does it... It is made of polyester, and suddenly it was considered a rich man's fiber. He said, "No, I will make it poor man's fiber." Mm. Then went into uh, manufacture of polyester, then petrochemicals, then refining, and so on and so forth. Mm. And uh, something which was just a twelve million dollar uh, sort of company was uh, just uh, uh, in uh, uh, two thousand seven. Today is. Uh, uh, a $215 billion company. Yeah, so, yeah. so I yeah. call it always call them as a kind of a, uh, inspirational exponential. I think uh, exponential is the only way to see. And okay, for example. So yeah. just like Urvayambani said, uh, you know, phone call at the cost of a postcard. So when we talk about aspiration, it is not an aspiration for yourself. It is for the society, for mm -hmm. the nation. Like I said, the, the, the you know, uh, sort of, it used to take us six uh, 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 years to get a telephone, basically, and it used to be so expensive. And he said, phone call at the cost of a postcard. And what did uh, Mukesh do? Mukesh did something completely different mm. in terms of making the phone call free, the voice call free, mm -hmm. and phone for GBS data and half a billion dollar customers. And mm. that is where the, uh, if you ask me the, about the leadership, uh, that is described in this uh, particular book, Leap yes. for Vaulting, you know, which I co-authored with. Uh, in fact, it came up because of my uh, talk with uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, Mukesh. Uh, and I want to explain that because that also explains the quality of your leadership. So we had this, you are right, actually, I chaired the Reliance Innovation Council, which had Nobel laureates like John Marilyn, Nobel laureate, uh, uh, like uh, Bob Grubbs and you um, know C.K. Prahlad was a sort of mm -hmm. member of that and George Weisside, the highest cited scientist in the world, but market cap of $30 billion, mm -hmm. you know, incredible sort of uh, council. And we used to discuss about uh, the way forward. And one day I remember M uh, Mukesh mentioning to me that, uh, Doc, we must leapfrog and do this. 
And I said, let's uh, get into the fundamental. Why did the frog leap? He leaped because he's afraid of the predator and jumps a few feet. All right. We must pole vault. The size of the pole is the size of your aspiration. Mm -hmm. But he loved it and we created a program called Beyonders. So out of hundreds of, 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 of a few hundred thousand, we would pick up 25, 30 young people who are thinking, uh, I mean, capable of uh, uh, creating that uh, aspiration and pole vaulting uh, sort of uh, to the sort of next way. And that culture, basically, that is defined as a reliance culture, has permeated uh, through the generations. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say, if you just see not only the diversity and complexity of the business, but the speed, scale, and sustainability of what they do is mm -hmm. incredible. Is what is called as a sort of reliance speed. I mean, <laughs> when you talk about Geo, for example, you know the onboarding of 50 million customers. Uh, if you uh, go back, uh, you know, it used to take several years to onboard 50 million customers. And the record was held by Twitter, two years. Right. Okay. They did it in 83 days. So that is the speed, the mm. scale, half a billion mm. uh, sort of customers and sustainability. But most importantly, the big purpose. Now, for example, I'm the chairman of their new energy council. Who has big, these big dreams about green hydrogen? Right. All right. Because as you know, there is a gray hydrogen, blue hydrogen, and green hydrogen. Right. Green hydrogen uses electricity to split water, which is also uh, a, a sort of uh, green. Or uh, uh, it comes from uh, uh, solar uh, photovoltaic uh, devices. Uh, you generate mm -hmm. electricity, so mm -hmm. it is really green. And then you use it to split water. The rest of the world is hovering around four to five dollar per kg of green hydrogen at the moment. You know what are the targets they have said? One, one, one. One kilogram of green hydrogen for one dollar within one decade. And I'm sure the way things are moving, he will move faster. So, mm -hmm. uh, so, so, so this is the pole vault. Mm -hmm. pole vault. And pole vault for a big purpose, as a matter of fact. Yeah. yeah. In the term that is going on, it is called geofication of new energy. Just like in geo, he gave to half a billion uh, customers affordable excellence, mm. very, very affordable, but mm. highest quality, 4G, LTE, and now he's moving into 5G. That's what he wants to do for, for energy. So for me, it has been absolutely sort of a fascinating experience. And same thing with uh, Radhan Tata, amazing uh, sort of mind, uh, you know, in terms of philanthropy. In fact, I would be speaking to you if uh, it was not for Sir Dora Tata's uh, trust scholarship. And the interesting part, I'll tell you, interesting yeah. part is that uh, Ratan and I share a number of things, but uh, there are three things that I'm particularly proud of. But for Tata Scholarship, I wouldn't be talking to you. That's right. for sure, because I would have uh, dropped out of school. Uh, there is this award called Padma Bhushan, which is the oh. second highest uh, award in uh, uh, India, and the President of India gives it. And that was given on 17 March 2000. And he got it and I got it. Okay. And got it from uh, our former president, Kya Narayanan, who was himself a Tata scholar. Both right. of us were able to study. Can you just imagine? Similarly, <laughs> we got this National Leadership Award. He got it in industry. I got it uh, in science and technology and elaborate work in the social. And also, the American mm -hmm. Academy of Arts and Science, you know, we, he, he was the sixth, I was the seventh, and we have signed on the same page. There are only seven. By the way, after 1780. Wow. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I rightly said I enjoyed enormous uh, sort of uh, rapport and learned a lot, benefited mm. a lot from these two great uh, uh, sort of uh, houses. If I may. Yeah. Yeah, that's magnificent. I mean, I think, you know, and it's wonderful for you, for you to share this and for us to hear this because it creates the um, the hope, it creates a sense of energy and also inspiration for us to then think about how we can build on this moving forward. Of course, these leaders have taken us to this point and they're pole vaulting. I like that a lot. Um, and by the way, just going back, you have a number of books that you have written for the audience out there because I'm sure they'll be interested in you. Uh, just before we close off, I just want you to let everyone know. Um, we'll talk more, of course, but you have a website. You have numerous books that are available on that website, your articles, everything's available there. So what, what is that website, Dr. Mashelkar? It is very simple. It is <coughs> www.mashelkar.com. That's all. Got it. So www.mashelkar.com. Yeah, mashelkar.com. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Or you could do what I did. I, I typed in um, Dr. Mashelkar's name and went onto Wikipedia. So you could do that too. And you have a, 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 long, a long list of... Um, uh, accolades and so on and so forth. So let's shift gears now. I'd like to now spend some time talking about um, the Anjani um, Michelle Foundation. So we've talked about inclusive innovation. I think we've absolutely touched on the importance of uh, access equality versus income equality. I think it's it's the undertone of what you're saying. It's underscored by a lot of things you've already said. Um, we've touched on scarcity aspiration. So we get when you have scarcity and aspiration if joined together, it's a powerful combination, the, the the feeding ground for dangerous optimism, and it can create a pole vaulting mindset. So we absolutely have touched on that. Now let's look at some of the good work that uh, you are doing and some stories of inclusive innovation that you have personally endorsed and supported and funded. So talk us through what the Anjani Mashelka Foundation is about. Why, why are you doing it? And where is it going? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is the 11th year of the foundation, by the way, if, uh, and the way it got formed is also very interesting because, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I was in Delhi as a director general of CSIR and my mother was in Pune. Uh, it's a distance of around 1200 kilometers, but every Friday evening I used to come uh, and be in my lab. Uh, Saturday, Sunday, I'll be in the lab and Sunday I will go back. And my practice was each time, what I'll put my hand in my pocket and whatever money was there, I'll give it to her. I never asked her what she did with it. When she passed away, 17 November 2006, my daughter Shruti was adjusting her saris, you know, reorganizing her saris. And she found all that money back there with a little note that uh, you're a scientist, don't forget our roots. Use this for doing some science of bringing, I don't remember the exact word, benefit to the poor. That mm. is where the idea of Anjani Mashalka Inclusive Innovation Award came. So inclusive innovation uh, is actually getting all the excluded uh, inside. Because as you know, our greatest challenge today, very frankly, yeah. the world is facing is <clears throat> And after pandemic, as you know, the inequalities have just exponentially grown. In fact, uh, World Bank report says that 100 million people who are poor have gone to extreme poverty. Mm -hmm. Their income levels are less than one point, uh, sort of nine dollar uh, $9 per day, and so on. So 
if they have uh, such income inequality, how can you create access equality? That looks impossible. Right. But that is what is uh, possible to be done. And when I talk about inequalities, by the way, it's not uh, just disparity in income. It is disability. It is dis uh, distance. It is discrimination, something that is created by uh, humans, basically, mm. our mm. society. That mm. is why they get excluded. So how do you include all those excluded? You know, the people, when you die on the street, you see them sleeping on the, uh, the scene or the refugees uh, that came in to Germany and all. And uh, inequality is not a problem of India, by the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> no, it is, it is a problem of the whole world, as, as a matter of fact. And uh, uh, it has got exaggerated during uh, uh, sort of the pandemic. So this is where the foundation was created. And the idea was, I'm not a great believer in best practice, by the way. Because mm. best practice is something that you copy from others. I'm the believer in next practice. Next practice... Uh, is what others should follow as a be best practice. So as to say, okay, so there is no incrementalism, there is no copying, there is no reverse engineering. So as to say, it is all forward engineering. And also it was include. So I'll just give you samples of some. One sample yeah. I will show you, uh, uh, ECG, for example. Normally when you have ECG, you go to lie down and then there are 12 leads that are put up and then the nurse uh, takes a printout, takes half an hour and charges you X amount of money. Uh, one of the first awards that went was to portable ECG. Now you can't believe it. This is the portable ECG that I have in hand, and this is available at Sanket Life. Mm -hmm. uh, what it does, this was created by Rahul Rastogi, who is uh, an electronics uh, wizard. So you have these two sensors here. Uh, you put your fingers for 15 seconds. Then your center, uh, 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 you know, sensor here. This is your heart. Mm -hmm. 15, 15, 15 seconds, below 15, 15, 15 seconds. And if you have downloaded an app for Sanket, it goes to you. They, right. they, to, to any mobile, it can go to your mobile, it can go to the best, uh, you know, heart specialist uh, mobile and so on and so forth. Cost is just five rupees. Remember, wow. 75 rupees is a dollar per, per, per ECG. And this cost is nothing. I mean, you can go to uh, Amazon and sort of uh, buy it. It is uh, just... Uh, uh, 4,000 rupees, which is $50. That's all. Mm -hmm. One divide. Now, you can see the uh, clear advantage in a rural setting, for example. If uh, a poor woman gets uh, sort of a pain in the heart and she has to be taken to ECG, she'll be put in a bullock cart or a, <laughs> a jeep or a whatever. No need. I mean, this is as simple as that, provided you have a sort of connectivity. Mm. The other one is Shah, for example, breast cancer. Okay. Now, he has created uh, a, a device uh, which is called iBrace, and for a $1, it does the scan. It has got US FDA certificate, it has got Europe certificate, and um, uh, 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 the uh, uh, partnership that he has built now, it is going to some 25 uh, uh, countries, and uh, uh, it is completely sort of non-invasive. Uh, uh, you look at, uh, for example, Mishkin uh, Ingawale, Mm -hmm. You know, found that when he went to villages, he found that women were dying of anemia. Why? Because they did not know their hemoglobin levels were low. Why? Because they wouldn't give their blood. They thought it was precious. So he created something fine. You don't give me your blood. And he created something called touch HB, which you put around your finger and you know what your hemoglobin is. 
you can see what difference it can basically wow. uh, make. Right. Similarly, uh, uh, mothers in villages, for example, their health doesn't get monitored at all. And this uh, Sentil Murugappan, for example, created what is called a Save Mom, uh, which is actually IoT-based uh, uh, wear, you know, I mean, uh, uh, you wear it as a kind of a jewel, like a bangle, you deliberately had to design it so that men will not use it, only women will use it. Mm -hmm. And it has uh, these sensors from which you can uh, uh, have a measurement of six critical parameters of yours, uh, a measurement of sleep, uh, the stage, then uh, alarm for medicines and so on and so forth. And just thousand rupees per thousand days, one rupee per day for that mother. And mm -hmm. it has been transformed, it has gone to more than 100 villages at the moment. Mm -hmm. And you see uh, the kind of difference it has been uh, uh, sort of... Uh, 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 able to uh, make, you know, and I can give examples after examples. Mm -hmm. The part of these is that they are extremely affordable, but they also bring in excellence by bringing highest level of technology. Like, for example, uh, when I mentioned to you about Mishkin, right. that device that you talk yes. about, yes, uses photophotosmography, uh, photon scattering uh, measurement, and also uh, spectroscopy, highest level of technologies. So the issue is making high technology work for the rich is very easy. Making low technology work for the poor is very easy. Making high technology work for the poor is very difficult. So mm -hmm. all these uh, Anjani Masharkar Inclusive Innovation Awards are that. And the final one, I'll tell you, final instance, um, uh, you will find all the details on the website, uh, which is very particularly close to my heart. You know, manual scavengers in India. Every three, four days, somebody dies because mm. they go into the manhole and mm. they say the very word manhole is terrible. Why yes. man be in the hole? Machine should be in the hole. Mm. And they created a robot which goes and does all the uh, sort of job. But then you would say, oh, come on. Then you are depriving that manual scavenger of a job. What they did was they would train the manual scavenger to do the robot operation. Yeah. Now, this is access to dignity. Why mm. access to dignity? Because of the child of that manual scavenger was going to school and they asked mm -hmm. him, what does your father do? They would put their head down and say manual scavenging. Mm -hmm. Now they will say it's a robot operator. Mm -hmm. It will make a big difference because now uh, the government of India is changing uh, sort of uh, uh, the manual scavenging sort of rules and so on and so forth. And machines are going to be actually used with training these people. Yeah, so fantastic. I think science must solve, technology must transform and innovation must impact. All these awards that we have talked about, the science is solving, technology is transforming, and innovation is impacting. That's what I feel very proud about. Brilliant. Beautiful. I mean, I am so thrilled to hear everything that you've just shared, and I'm sure our audience will be as well. Um, time time is, um, is, is moving forward, and I could speak to you for hours, which we will when I meet you face-to-face, -face, no doubt. But before we close off, a few more things. Um, you know, you have this abundance of richness experience. I'm sure you've succeeded and you've failed. Uh, you've, you know, you cannot just have a pathway um, that is filled with success. You've had failures, you've made mistakes, you've learned from them, it's shaped you. You're now, now to some extent, what I would refer to as, the, as a wisdom keeper. Um, and you have a lot of wisdom, you have it in your vault, and you are freely sharing all of your wealth with all of us and that is a, a wonderful thing that you're doing because it's making a material difference to us as people 
and we will hopefully do the same as we as we get to that stage of our lives as such um, what would you say to people out there? And I'm not going to talk about the next generation. I think all generations are important, let's be honest. <laughs> so, you know, let me not just talk about the next generation. I do care about the future, but I think I'm here now. I'm one generation. You're a generation. The generations that are younger than us, all of the um, alphabets, you know, X, Y, Z, will have all the gens covered. <laughs> what would you say to us right now? And uh, what should we take away from this conversation? Is there a, is a message? Is there a, uh, a story? Is there something you'd like to leave with us so we can think about this when we finish off, um, we finish off this, this uh, podcast? Thank you. I, as I said, <coughs> from the book of my own life, and you are absolutely right. I have succeeded, yeah. I have failed, and uh, so on. So I, that distant wisdom come in what are about... Uh, I like to call as five Marshalkar mantras, if you like, what okay. I have learned. Okay. So I'll quickly narrate them to you. Please. And the very first is aspirations are your possibilities, so keep them high. I think we have talked enough about it, so as to say. The second is the purpose, perseverance, and passion. They matter. There has to be a big purpose. There has to be a North Star, not just for yourself, but for your society, for your nation, for the mm -hmm. whole world, as a matter of fact. Perseverance is very important. It is too early to quit. Quitters are never winners. Winners are never quitters. And you must do it with passion. That's the second part. The third part, I say, you know, uh, is about hard work. What I learned in my life is uh, there's no substitute to hard work. Particularly for young generation, I want to mention that. Like instant coffee, there is no instant success. It's a toil sort of all around. And what looks like an overnight success has years of toil that goes behind it. I'm, uh, I just turned 79 on 1st January, but I can tell you, I work 24 into 7, day after day, month after month, year after year, and will continue to do so till I breathe my last. The only thing I will uh, say to the young people is work hard uh, in silence. Let success make all the noise. I think that would be uh, the way to do it. Uh, the fourth lesson is uh, that you keep on knocking on the doors of opportunities. And they don't open, then you get frustrated. I would say you create your own door. And you say, come on, it, it, it doesn't look possible. So I'll just give you a book, uh, I mean, example from my own book of life. I remember when I came back and joined National Chemical Body in 1976. As you know, India was a very poor country. Yeah. We did a foreign exchange. And therefore, I was trained on rheology and non-Newtonian fluid mechanics. And in order to do that, I required some basic equipment, one vaginal rheogoniometer. Can you believe it, Art? There was a DGT clearance, not manufactured in India, certificate, and so on and so forth, because every dollar was precious. Mm -hmm. And it would take me two years. So that door was not opening. Right. I said, what is the equipment God has given me? This. And I went into modeling and simulation. 1977, I started the work. And in 1982, one of India's highest prize that is reserved for less than 45-year-old scientists called Bhatnagar Prize, I got it for that work. Had I been waiting for that door of opportunity to uh, <laughs> open, it would not have happened. So create your own doors. That's the point I'm trying to make. And the fifth point is I strongly believe that there is no limit to human endurance, no limit to human achievement. Uh, accepting the limits that you put on yourself. 
And let me tell you another story to you. I mean, uh, Bharat Ratna, which is the highest uh, civilian award, Professor C N R Rao, uh, you know, accepting Nobel Prize as well. He's the most celebrated scientist. He's my guru, and he taught me this particular lesson. So I remember when I became F R S Fellow of Royal Society, I called him because there are, as, as I said, there are three engineering scientists. That's all. Two of us living in three sixty years. At that time, of course, it was three uh, forty years. Uh, I called him and uh, told him that, and you know what was his response? Not bad. <laughs> I became American Academy of Arts and Science. You know, I was only the seventh, and so on. So I called him. Not bad. Then I became U.S. National Academy of Inventors. Uh, you know, I was the first Indian to be sort of honored. And I called him. At, at least now he would say. Again, he said not bad. And I said, Sir, what do I have to do to, uh, to sort of uh, impress you? What he told me is my last message because that I have carried through for life. What he said is that, Mr. Shankar, you are climbing on a ladder of excellence which is limitless. The only limit is what you put on your head. Turning it around, what it means is that no matter what you achieve, you have to say my best is yet to come. Yeah. So why don't we do this? That every day in the morning when we get up, you say my best is yet to come. And maybe today will be the day. So whether you are eighteen or eighty-eight, it doesn't matter. My best is yet to come. Not just for me, for what I'm doing to the society, for the nation, to the world, for uh, sort of a, a global good. And if that happens, I think we'll most certainly have smile on the face of billions of people around the world. These are the five lessons from my life. I would say. Brilliant, brilliant, absolutely amazing, and five lessons that um, I will imprint in my mind for sure, because each one of them is central to how we live a better life as well. Not just about business and aspirations, but it's also about um, balance and equilibrium, personally and professionally. So thank you so much for doing that. I will keep you for another five minutes if that's okay, and um, because these questions did come. That I'm going to share with you right now. There are a couple of questions, and if you could rapid fire try and answer them, that would be amazing. Um, the first question really is from the West, uh, from a Western government now looking to approach India. Let's call it the new India, the term I used, but now looking to approach India, encouraging Indians to come and set up businesses in their land, to launch, uh, you know, companies, to do sharing of IP, and so on. What would you say to the Western governments who are trying to do that with India right now in terms of their approach? Uh, I, pr I, I guess the approach they were using 10 years ago is not going to be suitable and relevant, uh, yet many of the Western governments are still using the best practices from yesterday, no next practices. What guidance would you give these government leaders as to how they should engage the new demographic, one of the three Ds that you talked about? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I think, uh, as I said, uh, India's great strength lies in its uh, uh, demography, but more importantly, in terms of its talent. And the future wars are going to be fought on talent. Very frankly, yeah. yes. I think the way the world of technology is going to uh, sort of uh, evolve. And thanks to the emergence of the digital world, uh, you know, there are newer ways of doing things that have emerged. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, the, the very idea of immigration, for example, uh, is changing. I mean, you can be anywhere in the world and um, sort of uh, you can do things. And therefore, I think we have to create in this hyper-connected world 
uh, understanding the new reality, new models of uh, engagement and business creation. That's all that I would uh, say because uh, the legacy of the past, uh, you know, where uh, with extreme nationalism, we are uh, a sort of missing out uh, right. on the benefits of uh, being sort of one global family. Yes. Uh, that, that has to uh, sort of give way. So there has to be, as they say, uh, parachute works only when it is open. Mind is also like that. It only works when it is open. Mm -hmm. I think that openness uh, in terms of uh, thinking and creating new models is what is required. Mm, fantastic, lovely. And that open mind, the analogy of the parachute is very important for the, the Western governments now very interested in India, very, very interested in India for a variety of different reasons. So that's a good takeaway. Uh, another question was really, I really, I think you've kind of answered that. But what would you, uh, if you had your younger self here, whatever age, you know, in your 30s or your 20s or even younger, and the younger self is right here, right in front of you, and you have two minutes with the younger self, what would you say to the younger self? Uh, well, uh, I would simply say that the potential in each one of us, you know, is incredibly high, which is all about realizing the potential. Mm -hmm. And then when you realize the potential, exceeding that potential, you know, so that trust in yourself, basically, that yes, you can. I know you wanted a brief answer, but I'll give you a slightly longer answer Please. than you sure. sort of put it uh, uh, in the way that you want. One of the inspirational stories is the following. Uh, Bill Gates, basically, uh, had come to India. And I remember I had uh, the privilege of having a dinner come discussion with him, along with some of the other thought leaders from India. And he told us about a story, which is... Uh, uh, it's about uh, his giving the Harvard University's uh, commencement lecture. Mm -hmm. He said that I declared myself as the most successful dropout from Harvard. And of course he was. And then he narrated a story that while he was young, there was uh, this uh, 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 company. Uh, and those were early days of hardware manufacturing computers, by the way. And there was a company in Albuquerque. And he must have been, what, uh, 18, 19, 20 year old or whatever. And he called that company. And he said, you're uh, 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 manufacturing hardware, you'll require software. I will give it to you. And he said also, with a mischievous smile, that uh, I thought they will keep the phone down. 18 year old, early days of computers saying, I will give you the software. You know what they told him? They told him, we are not ready as yet. Come after a month. And what Bill Gates told them was, Thank God they said come after month because I did not have the software that I was offering. <laughs> I know, I, I, I get that, yeah. Uh, that, that is the confidence. So I think each one of you, you know, should have that self-confidence that yes, I can. And then yes, I can. Beautiful. That's a, a wonderful uh, music to my ears. Uh, and then the final question was, and I'll leave you with this question is um, related to the future the future of the world and the future of India in, in that regard. So given everything we've talked about today and where we have been, where we've got to, where we're now and where we're going to go, what is your, uh, what is your foresight and your wisdom tell you? I'm not going to call it a prediction because it's not, but where do you think the world is headed? You can give us two scenarios if you wish or more, 
a really happy, joyful one and one that is more sinister and uh, filled with a little bit of darkness, if, if you wish, or any other way you would like to answer that question. Yes, I think uh, there are different scenarios that one can build. Yeah. Uh, uh, there is no doubt about that. And particularly uh, after the uh, pandemic, uh, pandemic has been, to my mind, the trailer for climate change. What can happen if climate change happens, you know, in terms of supply side challenges, demand mm -hmm. side challenges, and global amplification? We have demonstrated it. So one scenario is that we don't learn our lessons, basically, and climate change causes the kind of disasters that uh, uh, sort of are predicted or that we have seen in pandemic, accepting that they will be much more sort of expanded. That is the bleak scenario. The other good scenario is that better sense prevails, so as to say. All right. And here, for dealing with climate change, it's not a single nation which is going to be responsible. We all come together and we say that the future of our grandchildren and their great-grandchildren matters. The future of humanity matters. And we all work together. And we created, uh, let's say, our green future uh, by doing really the Vasudeva Kutumbakam that is coming together as a family. I would say uh, these are the two families because if you ask me after inequalities, what is uppermost in my mind, it is this. Mm. Got it. Wonderful. And so with that in mind, uh, Dr. Michelle Kerr, it's been an absolute joy and pleasure to have this conversation with you. Of course, we could go on and on and on, no doubt. And um, when I do visit India or if you visit the UK at any point, it would be fantastic to have you as a guest and spend more time over a cup of tea or coffee or um um, some food to sit down and talk about where we are and where we need to go. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for giving us this amazing first show for Straight Talk in 2022. Let's hope our future is as bright as it, um, as it should be and we will take all of the lessons that you've shared today seriously and apply them to um, our journeys, our, our individual journeys and our business and um, governmental journeys. So thank you very much. I'll form my hands and, and, and with immense gratitude. Look after yourself and we'll absolutely be in touch and uh, take care of yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.